0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Our words are powerful. They have the power to build up or tear down. This message focuses on how we can use our words to keep people close to us rather than push them away. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in our third week of weight of your words. Our words matter. The words that come out of your mouth, they matter. And they have the power to build up or they have the power to tear down. And oh, is it so much easier to tear down and be negative. That's why talk is cheap, right? Talk needs to lead to action. And so building up is so, so important. Uh, We've talked about how your words are weighty. We've talked about last week how we are not to lie, how that's very destructive. I've heard so much feedback on that, like, oh, man, I didn't know I was lying as much. It's like, I know, it's a a problem whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, right? Uh, And today we're going to talk about how to not push people away with your words. This is uh, so important because often we don't know we're doing it and we've all done it. Now, if this is gonna be participatory, okay? So I, I know last week I asked if you were a liar and some of you didn't put your hands up and then you lied Then you had to put your hand up. So let's be participatory this morning, all right? You ready? So if you had a choice, uh, this is one or the other, okay? I'm gonna start off with one of them. If you had a choice to be a person, uh, that gives inspiring words, that lifts people up, uh, that points people to Jesus, uh, that when people see you, they're like, oh, wow, I'm going to be encouraged. How many of you would want to be that person, right? Raise your hand. How many you want to be that person? Okay. Now, uh, the other option is, uh, how, many, how many of you would want to be a negative person that just radiates, oh, uh, I better tiptoe around that person. You want to be that person, right? How many of you want to be a person that pushes people away? Raise of hands, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's really good. I was glad, all right? But uh, you no, know, of course, we want to be positive. We want to be people that push people towards Jesus. We want to be people that add value to other people's lives. We want to be people that, that uh, people aren't running away from us when we uh, walk into the room. Of course, we want people uh, to uh, not run and do a marathon and just get the mention of our name. But the question is this. We don't want to push people away but do we? But do we? Are you aware of that? Uh, there's nothing more hurtful when a uh, relationship with a family or a friend or, or a coworker it goes south. A few years back, I was in a fair in Iowa, um, a, a county fair. And I was heading to my car when I noticed a commotion. It was a big commotion between a man about 30 years old, another uh, older man about 60 years old. And again, I'm not saying you're old if you're 60. I'm just saying, you know, comparatively, right? Uh, And I I just had to stop and watch because they were just shouting at each other, getting into each other's face. And I heard the younger man kind of identify his relationship with this older man. And he said, Dad, you never believe in me. Dad, you never have anything good to say about me. And he said this three times, you never have anything good to say about me. You never have anything good to say about me. You never have anything good to say about me. My heart just kind of sank. And the dad responded, oh yeah? The reason why I never have anything good to say about you is because you've amounted to nothing. You haven't done anything I've told you to do and you aren't the person that I wanted you to be. And the son responded, oh yeah, dad, just do it then. And he puts his face into his face, he goes, just hit me, hit me. Hit me. And by this time, the mom got in between. She was crying. She said, honey, please just say something good about her son. And I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) The dad goes, how could I? There's nothing good to say. That was years ago. I I remember going back to my car and just sitting, taking a deep breath. My heart was racing. I thought, wow. I never saw him again. And to this day I don't know what preceded this conversation, but you know whatever preceded it it was weighty. There was obviously a relational breakdown, there was obviously words that were said that were so destructive and they pushed each other away to where they were willing to get into a fight in front of everybody. And it made me hurt for the son. Even though I don't know what he did, I saw the rejection of a father. It was unsettling. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to situations, whether at work or your friends or even home, where relationships just went south because the words that came out of your mouth. Where have words in your life damaged friendships or damaged family or have pushed away a relationship? Maybe they were words that were, yes, of course, damaging, but, but maybe they were words that weren't based off truth. You just wanted to win the argument. Maybe you're somebody that, in, in all the wrong timing, you offered your unsolicited advice. You're like Job's friends, if you're not familiar with Job. Job is an individual that the, the Lord allowed hard things to happen to show that he was a righteous man. But all his friends interpreted Job's hardships as that he was sinning. He wasn't sinning. Maybe we've been Job's friends to somebody. For many, maybe we have no idea how we come across in situations, especially heated situations. Maybe your words are even true, but they come out and they're bathed in a negative spirit. Uh, Here's the deal. It's not that if you're true, yes, we should be true, but you could be true and, and speak your truth and speak the truth in all the wrong ways. How do you come across to other people? We are constantly communicating whether we know it or not. Uh, We are unconsciously communicating through our nonverbal facial expressions, our body language, even our tone of voice. So before the words ever come out of our mouth, we have in the very first book written, our our New Testament uh, books are not uh, placed chronologically, but the very first book that was written in about 50 AD was the book of James. And James in the very first chapter knew we had a problem with this. Before the words ever come out of our mouth, we need to pause. This is what James says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Basically, this is our main idea today. Your words will inspire or they will backfire. Your words will either inspire, that means push people to to Jesus, push people to do the right thing, or they will backfire. What will they be? The Apostle Paul, he knew what it meant to be pushed away. I'm sure the Apostle Paul in times pushed people away himself. He, is a, he was a human being, right? Just because he was the Apostle Paul and, and God spoke to him to write much of the New Testament didn't make him perfect. No, he was anything but. But by the end of his life, people had pushed him away. 2 Timothy 4.9, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly. I'm talking to Timothy. Please come to me quickly, for Demas because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, who previously was following Jesus by this point before uh, Paul's death, had abandoned God. So Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia. Titus is Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now, some of this was situational, but we know through the writings in the New Testament that Paul was hated because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was hated because his focus was on uh, pushing forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, his, his former peers, the Jewish people, they hated Paul when he placed his faith and trust in Jesus. They're like, how could you? Uh, the, the Jewish people saw that uh, as, as a backstab. Other Christians uh, who should have welcomed Paul and how God was using him pushed him away saying, uh, we don't really like the way that you're saying it. Other people were jealous of how God was using Paul, and they began to slander him and and demean him. And when Paul was in prison for his faith, very few people visited him. It was a a social stigma uh, to visit people in prison, and here Paul was, imprisoned for his faith, alone. Now, you think if anybody could be bitter and angry at people, it would be the Apostle Paul. Everybody pushed him away, and he was doing the right thing. But Paul realized his calling was not about his popularity or comfort, but the name and fame of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And we'll be pushed to that. Are we going to be for the fame of Jesus Christ above all? Therefore, he wrote a letter to encourage the early church earlier on, the church of Philippi, while he was in jail, to strengthen them in the faith. I mean, this is mind-blowing, really. Really? Paul's in prison to encourage people in their faith. He wasn't allowing circumstances. He wasn't allowing how people talked to him or treated him uh, to make him say, you know what, I'm gonna write a letter and it's gonna blow people up. No, no, rather he's like, I'm gonna write a letter to the church to encourage them. And in your circumstances this morning, you may have been treated awfully. There may have been things that have been said about you that you're like, I cannot believe that was said about me and it's, it's, it's gaslit you to where you're like, I can't believe who I become or who I am. That may be you this morning. You may have been pushed away or rejected by coworkers or family members. You may be in one of those boxes. You may have ticked them all. But I want you to know is this, is that you can have hope enjoy, joy encouragement no matter your circumstances or how people have treated you. You have a choice today. You have a choice to be bitter or you have a choice to be better. You have a choice today to see the worst in people. You have a choice today to see the best in people. And it needs to be the latter. We, because, of your, because of Jesus Christ, because that when you place your faith and trust in him alone, you have hope that supersedes any crummy situation. At Kenosha City Church, it is a core value it is a core value, which means this is a guiding value for us that we will see the best in each other. That doesn't mean that we're going to sweep things under the rug or, or say something that's not true. But we aren't going to come at somebody judgmental and say, hmm, I don't know about you. I don't know. Like, we, we want to say, "You know, you've been made in the image of God. We believe that we have a miracle-working God, that even if there's something going on in somebody's life that is not desirable, that is not even following in the the Lord, we know that God is a miracle-working God that can take somebody who is off the path and on the path, no matter who you are, right? We serve an amazing miracle-working God. So at Kenosha City Church, it's about honor. We will honor people because they are made in the image of God. We choose to see the best in each other. So therefore, We want our words to be inspiring. We want our words to point people to the truth and power, transformation power of Jesus Christ. So, your words will inspire or they will backfire, depending on how you want to look at life. If you want to be biblical, if you want to be spirit filled, uh, if you want to be growing, you can't be pushing people away with your words and your attitudes. So, Paul speaks of this responsibility. He speaks specifically of this responsibility in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. So that's where we're going to be today, if you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles or our Kenosha City Church app. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. By the way, uh, the app's been updated to where when you take notes and it connects it right to the message. So later on, you can just click play and you can hear this message again. Really cool update. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So then... My dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters. My joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and Siktingchi to agree in the Lord. I looked that one up on YouTube. Like There are about three pronunciations, we think. I'm like All right, I'm just going to go with one, all right? So, <laughs> yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and see in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Your words will inspire or they will backfire. Uh, and will you push people to Jesus? Will you choose to see the best in people? Will you, will you choose to do the hard work and, and find something that's praiseworthy? Because listen, words are cheap, negative words are easy, but praiseworthy things takes work and that's what God wants us to do. Will you do that? Will you be a positive influence or will you push people away? Well, I'm gonna give you three important things you need to know if you don't wanna push people away. Three important things, the number one is this, negative communication harms relational influence. That's not too rocket science, right, but it needs to be said. Negative communication harms relational influence. Paul calls us, we see here in verse 1, brothers and sisters. You know, like when somebody kind of comes up and goes, hey, brother, hey, sister. You know, I've always been kind of, I mean, if you do this, it's cool, it's fine. But I remember when I first started hearing it in the church world, I was kind of weirded out by it. I'm like, you're not my brother, right? Well, what, what, what Paul is saying is, yes, we are, spiritually speaking, we are. It's not some sappy disco song of, we are family, right? on, my sisters with me. Or oh, right, I'm done, I'm sorry. You mean, <laughs> it's in your head now, right? So... <laughs> You may hear the phrase, you know, well, we're brothers, we're sisters, you know, we're we're all God's children. But in reality, you wanna know something? Uh, That's not true. We're not all God's children. Scripture's very clear. You become the children of God when you place your faith and trust in Him. It's called adoption. And this is a beautiful thing. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. You become what the Bible says co heirs of the kingdom, right? Which means, yes, spiritually speaking, and it's a reality, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you all brothers and sisters, right? In Jesus Christ. You are co-heirs of the kingdom, and if you've been adopted by the king, you have the favor of the king over your life. Oh, it, that is good, isn't it? Now, we understand that siblings are not always on the best of terms, right? I mean, if you grew up and you're like, you had some pretty doozy, some of you young siblings are smiling right now, right? And say, you had some, you had doozies of fights. But I want to understand this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have so much more in common than you don't. Know. And that is the Lord God Almighty. When you place your faith and trust in Him alone, you, are come, you come from what the Bible says, spiritual death unto life. You have so much in common. You have the hope of the world that has been given to you and you've received it. And now you get to share it with others. And Yet, we forget what we have in common. The Bible also says that we are citizens of a kingdom, not in this world, but a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as citizens, if we are all citizens of the same kingdom, we ought to talk and value the same things, isn't that true? I mean, for instance, you kind of know uh, when someone's from a different part of the country or even a different part of the world, right? Uh, if someone's from the South, y'all, you know someone from the South, right? If you're from the South this morning, we know you're from the South, right? If we go down to the South, they know we're from the North. Uh, England is, is really interesting, all right? Whenever you hear someone uh, from England and they're, and they're talking British English, it's just, everything just sounds so brilliant, right? You know, it's like you know, put the shopping in the trolley and put the shopping that's in the trolley in the boot in the car park and then put the trolley away. Uh, all right, a you know, brilliant, right? It's like, man, that was just amazing. No, he just said he was gonna put his groceries away, all right, like, like, We we think you know when we hear British English, oh, that's so beautiful. And then when I go over to England, they're like, oh, it's an American. You sound like the movies. I'm like, really, right? It's because our movies it's English, American English, right? But I'm trying to contend with the British people. Listen, you have the accent. It's lovely. It makes you sound really, really smart. We don't have an accent. Oh, yes, you do. All right, prove it. And then they start speaking like an American. I'm like, oh my goodness, right? We have an accent. We all have an accent as brothers and sisters in Christ, as to speak the heavenly words of, uh, of the heart of the Lord. And we are to act by this kingdom ethic. We, we are, we are to, to hold true what's most important in this heavenly ethic. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we indeed have so much more in common Because Jesus Christ is our savior and he is our mission and he's coming back in a world that's just blown up by the weekend, right? We're We're reminded of that, right? But yet the enemy wants to destroy that. In the Bible, it says the enemy's mission statement is to seek, kill, and destroy. Where Jesus wants to give you life and life abundant, the enemy wants to seek, kill, destroy, divide and he wants to do it in relationships, and he loves to do it through your words. And we see this in Philippians chapter four, verse two. Right after we're introduced as brothers and sisters, Paul goes on to say, hey, I hear there's a church fight. I urge Yodia and Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel by my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. So Paul has to bring up the reality that's not a secret, obviously, in the Philippian church, that there are two women who have been doing amazing things in the Lord that decided to have a little royal rumble with each other. Now, we don't know exactly what this rumble was all about. But just like WWE, we knew they were cutting promos on each other. We know that they were screaming at each other. And it stinks to be them, because now they're forever enshrined in scripture with whatever fight this was, right? I mean, we have the hall of faith, you know, Moses had faith, he, you know, uh, this person did this, you know, this prophet did this, right? Uh, this, this, he rose from the dead, he did this miracle, right? You have all these like amazing things, like wow, look what this person did for Jesus. And then you have these two ladies here who had a fight, and we're all talking about it, right? Stinks to be them. But you know what? We don't know what it is, but we know it caused probably some great divisions and conflict in their church. Unfortunately, this has happened then, and it's happened of all time since then. We are human beings that if we go about life in our own power, in our own strength, it does not bring out the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God. Uh, our flesh loves to fight and divide. In my 20 years of ministry, I've seen people uh, do batter oil uh, with some very petty things, Some want a position, others are envious that they uh, take their eyes off the gospel because they're envious of somebody else in the church, Uh, other people, uh, here's here's the idea. When you take your eyes off the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church world, and even your office world can be like this, but the church world, I'm just speaking of the church world here, could descend to like a middle school cafeteria, right? Am I right? We aren't gonna do that here at Kenosha City Church. We're not a middle school cafeteria. I just want you to know that. But I want you to know, you take your eyes off the prize, you stop living off the power of the Holy Spirit, and you go into business for yourself, you're gonna have feelings you haven't felt since middle school. It's called the middle school cafeteria where people are talking about you, you're talking about them, and there's petty fights, right? That's, there's no room for that in the church. I think this is probably what was happening here. And their mouths went in to overdrive. They began to communicate poorly. And for you and I today, we can laugh at them that they are enshrined in scripture, but they're in scripture on purpose. It's for our instruction. Because we can communicate poorly as well. Let's talk about that, can we? This might hurt a little bit. Because I know that none of us are perfect and all of us have communicated poorly in life. So I am praying right now as I'm speaking, the Spirit of God would open our hearts and say, ooh, that's me, right? And that you are going to ask God for help and that you're going to ask others to keep you accountable, all right? So we're gonna take a look at some bad communication. We're gonna look at some good communication. Why? So that we are communicating and uplifting people with our words. All right, example of bad communication. Maybe these two ladies uh, were employing these. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining at least one of these, but the first one is this, passive, This is the communication style that avoids communicating. Uh, You you avoid communicating what you're thinking and what you're feeling. This person uses this communication style to try to avoid conflict uh, or uncomfortable feelings. A passive communicator often apologizes for normal behavior or something they don't need to apologize for. They are indecisive typically and they're fear letting other people down. And although a passive communicator can diffuse a tense situation over time, they grow frustrated and even bitter towards people because they don't feel like they're being heard. They often begin to read into other people's hearts and giving them negative intentions. And instead of partnering with people, the gospel, gospel, passive communicators tend to avoid people altogether. So what do you do if you're passive this morning? If you find yourself as a passive communicator this morning, and again, I'm not talking about introvert, extrovert. I'm not talking about that at all. You could be a passive communicator and an extrovert. You could say a lot of things, but still avoid talking about what you need to talk about. You know what I'm saying? All right, so this isn't like personality styles. This is how you're communicating, all right? And so what to do do if you're a passive communicator uh, is you need to remember who you are in Christ. You have been made in the image of God. You have been made uh, with purposes and plans for God to execute through your life. Your words and your life matters, and you understand that. It's not about pleasing everybody in your life. That's impossible. You will fail at that. Strive to bring clarity in how you're feeling and avoid thinking the worst of people In the worst-case scenario if you say what you're going to say. Because here's what happens, and it doesn't necessarily have to be linear like this, but I've seen this happen time and time again. When someone stays passive it usually over time bleeds into what I call passive-aggressive. This communication style is one where you avoid conflict, just as you do with being passive, but you avoid conflict by saying one thing, but inside you strongly disagree with what you disagreed to. The communication style often employs sarcasm or snarky comments or even gaslighting, that is, uh, accusing someone of what you actually did. Some examples of passive aggressive behavior is giving the silent treatment giving backhanded compliments like Oh, it's good job on your project. It's about time. All your other ones are pretty rough, but uh, good job this time. Uh, uh, you, you may you may make it, right? That's a backhanded compliment, right? Or here's another one. Oh, I, actually, I heard this when I first came into ministry. Oh, Andy, oh, you you just brought it today. It's not like that other pastor we had speak here last week. I'm like, huh? If you have to compliment somebody by ripping somebody else down, I always tell someone that receives this compliment that was not a compliment, right? It was a backhand to somebody else. They're just using you, right? That's passive aggressive. Passive aggressive people uh, often uh, are first charming to be around, but they soon stress people out. People begin to walk in eggshells around passive aggressive people because they're fearful that they will turn against them. Passive aggressive often employs gossip and slander behind people's backs. As they talk about people, uh, they, uh, instead of going to that person they have an issue with, They'll go to everybody else to talk about them. Again, this is squarely against Matthew 18, which says if you have a grievance, go to that person. You're going to talk to them directly. Now, if you find yourself being passive-aggressive, just know that uh, Kenosha City Church can still be your home, right? We can be recovering passive-aggressive people, right? But here's what we need to do. We need to talk to God about it. We need to talk to God about it. We need to confess uh, our our need to control the situation through our passive-aggressive communication. We need to recognize our patterns when we're employing passive aggressive behavior and we need to have trusted friends that can speak into us and that we will trust when they say, hey, shh, you're being passive aggressive right now. That was a snarky comment. I know that you uh, you made that kind of like a joke, but I don't think that was really a joke, right? You need to listen to your friends, all right? That's a great way of recovering from passive aggressive behavior. Now, if passive aggressive behavior continues, Again, this isn't necessarily linear, but I see it often. It becomes aggressive behavior, aggressive communication. Aggressive communication is the use of confrontational and hostile language that directly belittles, criticizes, or uses threats to achieve their desired goal. Uh, aggressive behavior can often be spoken in the heat of the moment, but don't mistake an aggressive behavior with someone that has unwavering conviction, uh, that is confident, or extroverted okay you can be aggressive whether again if you're extroverted or you're introverted again this is a communication uh, style, not a personality. Uh, rather uh, someone that's aggressive uses charge language, personal attacks and even scorch or tactics to get what they want. Uh, this is someone that is a bully and that typically is anti-authoritarian. Uh, being aggressive can be said in a whisper or a yell. Uh, And the church word being aggressive can also come from a person who think they are super spiritual, all right? Uh, Whether they think that they've heard something from God. And again, uh, God can use you, but in in, in all of this, we need to have a humble orthodoxy, right? We, We need to be humble amongst each other, knowing that we're just a vessel that God can use. But when we forget about our humility, we can go about our spirituality in a very aggressive tone, and that grieves God. That really, really grieves him uh, that when we go about thinking that somehow we're doing something in ourselves. And so uh, when humility is lost, even in our spiritual growth, uh, that is not good. And you can become aggressive and push people away with God's truth. We want to influence people with God's truth. If you've been aggressive, confess before the Lord. uh, Humble your approach. Ask for patience and grace. And seek to make, make right with those who you've been aggressive with. And again, just with passive-aggressive, have a trusted person to be able to tell you, yo, you are being extra, all right? Now, we have have passive, passive passive-aggressive-aggressive. Those are different uh, styles to wrongly communicate. Here's some other potpourri ways of communicating poorly, all right? Uh, We could be exhaustive. we'd be here for three hours, but I wanna hit on a couple other things. One is mind reading, all right? Mind reading is you think your thoughts as if somebody else is thinking them. You're projecting your thoughts into somebody else. Uh, you, you think what they are thinking, but they're actually not thinking it, okay? You're trying to mind read. I know what they're actually thinking. Hey, news flash, nobody can read anybody's mind, right? You could know somebody. You might think, well, this is what, I think they're thinking about this, right? But mind reading is not a good form of communication. Men and women, marriages, please, uh, future marriages, all right, it's in between, everybody. Marriage tip right there, right? Don't go into a fight thinking you can read somebody's memory or their mind. One time I was having a hard day. I came home and I projected my thoughts and feelings onto Allison, all right? We are very, very different people. We are the, you know, the yin and the yang, right? And and I love it that Allison's so calm and I'm like, yeah, right? Like God knew what he was doing and brought us together. But one of the things I can do sometimes if I get... You know, like having a bad day worked up, I can like think Allison's thinking the same thing. So I came in one day and I think I had a particular hard meeting or there was something that went went on and I came home and I immediately went to the kitchen. I said, Honey, what's the matter? Nothing's a matter. Are you sure? Are you sure something's a, I, I think something's a matter. And Andy, no, nothing's a matter. Honey, something's a matter. She said, Andy, if you ask me one more time, something will be a matter, right? <laughs> thing is, is I realized I was trying to project my day onto her day. Her day was awesome. Mine was rough. You can't read minds. And church, we get into so much trouble when we try to fill in the blanks of communication with our own negative words. You know where else? It's not just relationships, marriages, families that get into trouble with this. You know where else we get in trouble with this? Oh yeah, the phone, Right? Right, you get a text message. Depending on the day that you are having, if you get a message from someone saying, hey, could you call me right away, right? If you're having a stressful day, you're like, oh no, they hate me. Oh my, how could they? I'll call them back in a couple days. I am mad at them. Don't they understand like what day I'm having? Don't they understand like like, what I've all done for them? Uh, Two days later, it's It's on. You wanna invite me to dinner because you just know I'm having a rough day? Oh, cool. You spent two days filling in the blanks of one sentence of text because you were projecting your thoughts onto that text. Now, come on, you've all done that, right? You all did that yesterday, right? Like, how could they? Uh, Why couldn't you put an emoji? And then they do put the emoji. I don't even trust that emoji anymore. They know I put that on there because they want me, they know I like seeing that, right? Here's the deal. It's still called a phone, right? You can actually talk on the phone, right? Right? Now, somebody like, oh, you just sound so much like a grandpa right now. I'm not a grandpa. Not, not yet, right? Uh, Got some time on that one, right? But here's the deal. It's science. Our communication has been decapitated, and we've been filling in all the blanks with our negativity, and Satan's having a heyday. He's like, yes, yes. Now, I'm not saying stop, you know, quit texting or using social media. I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying as Christians, as people that we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ and share the love of Christ with each other, we should aspire to communicate well. And what ends up happening is this. Science, 55% of all communication is nonverbal. Nonverbal, which means the minute you go on the phone, you lose that, okay? Now, it's it's close, it's in the 40s, right, 55, right, so, so it's close, that's why phones are still really, really important, but when you get rid of um, the nonverbal, 38% is your voice, and 7% are words written down, which means this, when you get rid of seeing somebody and hearing somebody, You only have, scientifically, 7% of communication at your disposal. That email, that text, right? Those things are helpful of getting information out quickly. They are no replacement for having close relationships amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are so many, even counseling sessions, I've had to wade through. I'm like, wait. You misinterpreted a text. Wait, you misinterpreted an email. How did you do that? It's because they took whatever was going on in their life, previous conversations, and they all threw it right in that email. Am I speaking truth here? Right? Some of you are like, I did that yesterday, right? Am Am I correct? Right? Again, I'm not saying get rid of any of those things, but man, we can get rid of so many fights if we realize we are projecting our mind reading into these things. Critical thinking. I'm not talking about critical thinking like, hey, we need to critically think about this subject and we need to wait. That's what I'm, I'm talking about. You being critical. Critical speaking. There's a fine line between a complaint and whining. Complaints can be good, right? Um, if, if somebody was, you know, created a bonfire in our lobby, I hope someone would complain, Right? hey, you're smoking the place out, right? That would be a good complaint. Like, oh, yes, so oh, thank you, right? But if somebody was whining, it's very different. So let's kind of talk about that, that, uh, that differentiation. There's a fine line between giving a complaint and becoming a complainer. One researcher put it this way. Giving healthy feedback is voicing fair and legitimate dissatisfaction with the goal of being part of the remedy. That's the part we usually miss. People love to give their two cents but they're like, but they don't want to do anything to change it, right? And so don't be that person. Be willing to, to offer a solution. When we voice legitimate dissatisfaction, we do so with the goal of attaining a resolution. If not, uh, we are merely venting. And with dissatisfaction, we voice trivial or inconsequential things. It's not just venting, it's whining. And this is, this is so significant. It's so important that we realize that we don't want to become a person that is critical, that is whining, that is always venting because it's doing something to our head. It's doing something to our mind. Our minds contain 100 billion neurons, nerve cells that have the ability to store and communicate information between each other using what's called the synaptic connections. The more brain circuits fire the same way repeatedly, the stronger connections between them become. So whether you, uh, you consciously realize it or not, your repeated complaints or venting or whining are neurologically rewiring you. We are watching our culture right now that is bent on negative rewire itself to where even when they see something that should be praiseworthy, it's not good enough. I'm telling you, this is a tool of the enemy. Now, what could happen in our brains is this, is if we look and choose to be seeing the praiseworthy, praiseworthy things of the Lord, our brain is likewise being rewired in that way as well. So it is critical that we are not a critical person. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm the word of life. Other examples of bad communication can be failing to listen, being defensive when someone is giving you uh, legitimate feedback, interrupting, ghosting, gossiping, lying, which we had a whole series last week about that, avoiding eye contact, etc. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to communicate in a way that brings you glory and pushes people towards you. Negative communication harms relational influence. And in your words, they will inspire or they will backfire. Secondly, Paul's remedy. Paul's remedy to Yodia and uh, Syntyche was not to try to get into the weeds, say, okay, he's like, I don't even want to deal with your issue. He didn't even speak of the issue. He wants to give them a lasting remedy, and he wants to give you and I a lasting remedy for our mouths, and it's this. Worship. Worship steadies the heart, which is reflected in our words. Worship. Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Where bad communication escalates the situation, Worship de escalates and it steadies you. This world doesn't need more people unsteady and ready to go bonkers, right? Do we need more people losing their mind and culture? No, we need steady people. And as God's people, He is giving you His Spirit to steady you steady, 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 a steady heart. Where we worship, it's not just our praise during, during music time. Worship is everything that we do is declaring the worth of God to our life. What we think about, what we say, how we act, how we treat people, what we do, what we value, how we push forward the gospel. That is all acts of worship. And when you say, God, I'm going to give you worship in every area of my life, it will steady your heart, it will influence your words. You want to see somebody that is loose with their words? I want you to know there's some worship uh, that is unsteady in their life. Now, nobody's perfect. We all need to get re-steadied. Worship steadies you. What does a steady heart do? A steady heart rejoices. We command, we are commanded to rejoice. In fact, Paul says, I will say it again rejoice in all circumstances. We're commanded to rejoice in all circumstances in the Lord. You see, we can find joy and rejoice in things that make us happy that aren't in the Lord, but those things are fleeting. And they aren't necessarily bad, right? Iowa Hawkeyes won yesterday. I was really happy for about 15 minutes. I forgot about it, right? Like it was fleeting, right? But joy that surpasses understanding. Joy that gives you peace. Joy that steadies you in the storm. It is joy that's in the Lord. In the Lord. When you find joy in the character of the Lord who's never changing. When your joy is in his promises, when your joy is the future of heaven, when your joy is in the spirit he's given you now, he steadies your soul. A steady soul leads to you then to be patient and to be gracious with one another. And we see this. A steady heart is secondly, full of grace. When you find your true joy in the Lord, you'll be reminded of the kindness of the Lord. When the Lord sought you, when we wanted nothing to do with God, When we are in the very action of sin, and yet the Bible says Christ died for us. When we receive Christ, we are reminded of the great mercy and grace he has given us. And when we ponder that, when we worship the Lord God God Almighty uh, because of that, we can't help but try to emulate that. How can we not be merciful and gracious to other people when Christ has done that for us. D.A. Carson, he states it this way. Gentleness, which you can translate full of grace to gentleness, gentleness is not insisting on every right or letter of the law or custom, but yielding kindness and curtiness. In church world, and I love this because this isn't a uh, at uh, Kenosha City Church, but I've, I, uh, I go to and, and, and counsel and, and uh, train a number of pastors throughout the country and some of the things that people fight over in the church world just make me scratch my head. People fight over songs uh, because it's not the style that they like, or, or or I've I've heard churches where they fight over carpet color. I've mentioned that a lot, right? Uh, we, we we. I hear often people say, Ah, oh, just these people don't praise like I do. And I'm like, Are you hearing yourself? Like you do, like. Like, let me learn then. Like, what have, you, what have you understood that nobody in all in the last two millennia of scripture have not understood that you now have, right? Like, we, we say these boastful, prideful, preferential things, and they divide. It's, it's not graceful. When you're gracious, you focus on the giver of grace, and you'll be increasingly mindful of the heart of God, his second coming. Uh, and because of that, no matter what anxieties you have in your life, you cast them to God. You give them to God. And he gives you in, re- in return a steadiness in your spirit. Our culture is hungry for more instability. And we are not going to give it more instability. We are going to give it the heart of the Lord. And the result of steadiness is this. Peace that surpasses understanding. A heart guarded from deceit worship steadies your life and it's reflected in your words the lord wants to steady you this morning i don't know who i'm speaking to this morning where your life is just upside down right now it is it is lopsided at work your relationship maybe is, is on the brink. You don't know if you have another week left of it. Uh, for some of you, you don't. You, there's such hidden things in your heart that they're just eating you alive. I want you to know this morning, listen, I want you to know this morning, the Lord wants to steady you. He wants to steady you. He loves you. He's seeking you right now. He sought you and bought you on the cross. He wants to steady your soul through worship. Third thing. Third thing, if we want to push people towards Christ, not push them away, You have the responsibility now to speak with excellence. You have the responsibility to speak with excellence. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. I quote this passage a lot. All right, I, I realize I haven't really preached to the passage before. I quote it all the time. That's why it made me think I, I've actually preached to it. I'm like, wait, I haven't preached to this? It's like, it's definitely going in this series because this is, some, this is the MO here. Uh, we, it is not a currency where people can come in with a bad attitude, rip other people down, and be negative. Like, we'll, 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 we'll love you, right? But it's not gonna propel you to whatever you want, right? What, the work that we wanna see people do is point people to Jesus and find what is good in each other. We want to find what's praiseworthy in each other and what's not praiseworthy, what may be even biblically wrong. We want to patiently push people towards the truth of Jesus Christ in that. Someone did it for you and we must do it for others. So Paul sums up the visible Christian life with one long sentence with two major commands. Verse eight, think about what is excellent and verse nine, put them into practice. These commands can appropriately be placed in our words so excellent words we see here if we look at Philippians chapter four, uh, they're true. Excellent words are true. They aren't an exaggeration. They aren't the whole long list of lies that we talked about last week. They are true. We're to find the truth and this is what needs to dominate our thoughts. We need to dwell on such things. And so often we allow negative false communication to take up resonance in our mind or to build whole thought processes. Some of you have whole thought processes that are built on a foundation that is not True. And we can see people through these filters. Uh, we, We speak from the storehouse from this filter rather than what is true and excellent. Excellent words are true. They're not my truth. They're not your truth. We need to seek out the truth, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Excellent words are honorable. This can be translated noble. That is, we look for the characteristics that are worthy and respectful Our speech needs to be one that turns away uh, from from those that cause division or, or that are sinful or tearing other people down or are vulgar. Our speech should try to find the best in people as we honor they are made in the image of God. Our words need to be just. Our words need to be approved and acceptable before God. They need to be right. They need to be coming from the heart of the Lord. When we want to speak the overflow of our natural emotion, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Often you have words in you and they are just grilling. They are marinating. They're ready to explode like a volcano. There are words you know that are going to damage. You need to pray the Lord God, almighty God. Those words aren't just. I want your noble words to come out of my mouth, even in the hardest of situations. Excellent words are pure. This can be translated lovely. Your speech should draw people into the awe of who God is. People, when they're done talking, they should be like, oh, that person was so nice. Yeah, I hope that's the case. But ultimately it's this. Man, God's good. God's good. God loves me. Even with the things in my past. That's what pure and excellent words do. Our words need to be commendable. Our speech needs to find what is noteworthy. What is commendable, what is to speak about, and that's what we need to speak about. You know, we often say gossip is bad. It is bad. But you know what? There is one thing that you can spread about people that I think the Lord likes. When you spread what's commendable on a person, you can go in and talk up other people. Be the first person to build somebody up. If you're hearing a conversation, people are tearing down. I would exit from that conversation. But before you do, drop a uh, a little good smoke bomb. Right? <laughs> Say, hey, you know what? This person, they did this awesome thing for me. I'll see you later. Right? Be the positive contrarian. Find what is good. If there's anything praiseworthy, moral excellence, these are the things that we need to dwell on and come out of our mouth. We have the responsibility. It's the obedience to the Lord to speak with excellence. We need to find this in each person and build them up. And the things that drive us crazy, we need to pray about. The things that we know that they're off with, we just don't point a finger saying, I'm right and you're wrong. We we graciously, impatiently open scripture. We pray for them. We speak with them. We get coffee with them. Uh, we, We push them to the truth of Jesus Christ. So as a follower of Christ, know this. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God working in you. You will push friends closer or further to Christ. Allow God to work in and through you to be a bridge to him. Here's our take home today. This is where we're going to do a little heart surgery. Me too. Okay. We're all human. This is our homework. All right. Ask a trusted person to be honest with you. Do I come across critical or uplifting? I should say, do I, all right? You can ask them too, I guess. Uh, But do I come across critical or uplifting? Listen to them, okay? Some of you may have no idea you're coming across critical. This is a huge trajectory change in your life is huge number two be intentional in lifting someone up with your words this week who's that random letter you're gonna your note you're gonna write somebody maybe in your cubicle who's that family member you need to call up or, or, or who's that maybe maybe there's a marriage here where you need to go on a date and you say you know what we just need to lift each other up be intentional in lifting someone up with your words this week three ask God and others for forgiveness with your words as you begin to do heart surgery you're gonna realize ah oh, crud I said this to somebody Hey, um, it's always awkward. <laughs> it's always awkward. Hey, you know when I said that a couple days ago? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard to say that. Go for it. It'll lift a burden off and it'll bring healing. Number four, commit to stop complaining. Instead, bring uplifting solutions to problems in your life. You might get a promotion at work if you do this one. <laughs> But you may grow out closer to your friends, your spouse, even circles in your church. So there's your homework. But it's going to take an act of God for us to open our hearts and to dwell on these things and then put them into practice. So, Father, we love you and we thank you, God, what you're going to do this week in our hearts. You're not lifting us up to be mindlessly Pollyanna. No. You're telling us to be people that seek out the truth of what's excellent of what you're doing. God, we believe uh, that you can do things that haven't even, ha- even happened yet. And God, we know that when people are far from you, God, we know that through you, you can draw them close. And so God, I pray that we are people of hope, people of faith, people that will see the best in each other. Help us with any critical spirit. Help us with words that come out and they just push people away. God, I pray that people will hear the heart of God in our words. So God, do whatever adjustment you need to do in our hearts, in our mouths, in our life today. So just ask the Spirit of God to do work in your heart. As you're doing that, I want to speak to anybody in this room right now that doesn't know Jesus as we continue to pray. If today you're uncertain, you have a relationship with Jesus, or you know you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, I want you to listen up. You can know Jesus personally today. And you need to know Jesus personally because you are made for him. And without him, you are lost and dead in your sins, the Bible says. If you want your sins forgiven, if you want a relationship with Jesus, if you want to spend eternity with him in heaven, receive him right now. God created you to have a relationship with him. But your sin separated you from Almighty God. And no religion or good work gets you good enough for God because God demands perfection. That's a problem, not one of us are perfect. What are we to do? Receive. Jesus Christ did what we could not do. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. And because he's a sinless, perfect sacrifice, death couldn't keep him he rose from the dead three days later defeating sin and death and anybody and everybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior is saved and as a rightful response we begin to follow today if you want your sins forgiven today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ we just slip up your hand on the count of three if that's you Today, you're like, I'm in. I want Jesus Christ to, to be my savior. I want, to, I want him to be the leader of my life. If that's you, on the count of three, just raise up your hand up high. No one looking around. One, two, three, raise that hand up high. I see you. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. For those of you that raised your hands this morning, pray with me. I'm just gonna help you communicate to God with what God's already doing in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong in my life. I realize I need forgiveness for my sins, so I come to you. I place my full faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. I'm gonna follow you now with my life, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for this entire church now, that God, as you've revealed in our heart where we have been poorly communicating, that God, that we wouldn't beat ourselves down, but we just run to you and say, God, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to speak words of life. So God, unleash our congregation to do just that. As they speak with one another, as they share the gospel with one another, uh, God, as they be the church with one another. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.